0: If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do, I want to encourage you to open them to Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1. I had originally stated that we were going to do an overview of Genesis. We're not going to do an overview of Genesis, all right? All right. I won't name names, but there are staff members who have an over and under on how long it's going to take me to get through Genesis 1 through 12, so we'll see, but this is important as I dug into this, it's, it's just too significant for us to breeze through, especially through these opening chapters, so we're going to spend a little more time here, but before we dive into Genesis 1, last week I had made a statement that's going to kind of govern our study, and it's that the Genesis kind of creation is true, and we will interpret it literally, and I hit upon the first part of that statement, but didn't really hit the last part, and so I just want to cover it briefly when I say that we will interpret it literally, because as many of you know, there are people out there who will interpret it, uh, interpret Genesis 1 through 12 as poetry, or even some who will just uh, determine it to be myth. Um, And so that needs to be addressed. Number one, when we consider those who would say it's poetry, uh, there is Hebrew poetry in the Old Testament. There's quite a bit of it. And Hebrew poetry has certain marks and characteristics. And we find none of those marks or characteristics in Genesis 1 through 12. And so Hebrew linguistic scholars will tell us that Genesis 1 through 12 is not poetry. And it was intended to be interpreted Literally. And, uh, and so if you want to say it's poetry or myth, you might as well just say, I don't believe it, uh, which would be more intellectually consistent uh, because as it stands, it is not poetry. Uh, why do we take it literally, though? Well, primarily we take it literally because Jesus himself interpreted it literally. Jesus quotes directly from Genesis chapter 2 on the issue of divorce, and he'll say for this reason... I say, it was not this way in the beginning. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother. He quotes from Genesis 2. So Jesus himself interpreted it literally. He'll quote from Genesis chapter 9. And Noah, he took that as literal and historical. Uh, Paul references uh, Genesis 3 in Romans chapter 5 when he says, Therefore, just as uh, through one man's sin entered the world through Adam, he references that. He took it to be literal and historical. In fact, we have, from Genesis 1 through 11, we have over a 100 either quotations or direct references in the New Testament. In every one of those instances, the New Testament writers interpreted Genesis 1 through 11 as literal and historical and true. So, Enough said on that. If you're going to take it anything other than literal, you're going against Jesus and Paul. All right, and we don't want to be there. All right, so we're going to interpret it as literal and true. Let me just give you a little bit of background that we didn't cover last week as well. Number one, what's the theme of these chapters that we're going to be studying? Uh, Genesis one through twelve. Well, the theme is the the glory and the majesty of God. We're going to see that this morning. That. Even in chapter 1, this is not just so much the account of creation as much as it is a picture of the glory and the majesty of the God who is above and sovereign over all of creation. So we're going to see the glory and the majesty of God. What is the purpose of Genesis 1 through 12? You you know that the word Genesis literally means Origins or beginnings. So it's to give us the beginnings of all the major issues of life. We're going to see the beginnings of creation, the universe, of man and woman, of family, marriage, sin, evil, judgment, government nations and even the beginning of Israel and you find all of these so all as we we discussed last week all the answers to the great questions of life are found in these first 11 chapters and really the first three chapters of Genesis uh, chapter 12 it's been said one person said that the book of Genesis makes God predictable I love that it makes God predictable that if you know Genesis and if you know specifically 1 through 12 you can know what God is doing in the world And you can know where God is going. And you can know what God is going to accomplish. And not only can you know what God is going to accomplish, you can know how he's going to accomplish it just by reading and understanding the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And so really by understanding this and the beginnings that we're going to see here, it brings greater clarity to the rest of the Old Testament. In fact, all the Old Testament prophecies, prophecy begins in Genesis 1 through 11. It brings further illumination to the Gospels. And you really can't even understand Revelation until you get Genesis 1 through 11. So this is critical, and it's why we decided just to kind of take it low and slow for a little bit and make sure we get this. Let me just state some ground rules as we begin in this. So um, I've already heard from so many of you, and I appreciate it, quite honestly. I want to tell you, I appreciate it, and and I'm so grateful for your feedback in the comments. But I want to just set the stage here to tell you, uh, I will not pretend to be a scientist because I'm not, all right? You're talking to uh, a BC student who made it, barely made it through, all right? So, um, you know, for me to pretend to be a scientist, it's going to get really goofy if I try to explain all the science behind this. I'm learning. I've read a lot of science in my preparation for this, and it's overwhelming, and it's wonderful, and it's beautiful. But I'm not going to pretend to be a scientist. I'm going to do as best I can to stick with uh, the text, All right? We're just going to try to stick with Scripture. And and having said that, that means I'm not going to give you all the views. There are all kinds of interpretations and views on some of these things, many of which you know, and some of you have shared those things with me. I love it. It's great that so many of you are diving deep into this. But if I were to give you all the views and all the interpretations and all the theories on this, we'd be here forever. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to give you the right view, all right? (laughs) It's funny, all right? That's a joke. Uh, I've been wrong a few times. You can ask Faith a few times. But what I will try to do, and this has been my prayer as I've walked through this, is just to give you uh, what most would consider the orthodox, the plain, and the simple interpretation of the text. You know, that's really my prayer. And and here's what I want us to do, because we need the Holy Spirit of God to speak to us this morning, to make his word clear. And here's what I want you to do, because I know all of us, we come with different presuppositions and uh, preconceived notions about Genesis 1. I don't know where you've been, I don't know what you've studied or what you've heard and all the theories that you've studied, but here's what I ask you to do. If you would, just right where you're at for just a moment, before we go to God's word, would you just... Just ask God to help you remove some of those preconceived notions. Ask God to help you remove any assumptions. You know, my prayer when I come to God's word is, God, save me from what I think I already know. And just to come with a heart of humility and just a simple childlike faith to to once again stand in awe and wonder of the God who made all that we see. So you just take a brief moment right where you're at. I'm going to pray for us, then we'll, we'll begin to work our way through this first chapter. Father, we're so grateful that you have revealed yourself to us in your word. We would have no account of your creation if you had not spoken. We know that from a humanly, from an earthly perspective, Moses put pen to paper, but as your word says, we understand that all scripture is God-breathed. That this is your holy word. And God, we don't want to go beyond your word this morning. And so Lord, I pray that you'd protect me in any words that would go beyond what you would have us to understand and to know according to your word. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would move and speak into our hearts today so that we might stand in awe and wonder again of the power and the glory and the majesty of the God of all creation. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When we come to this very first verse. Verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In my opinion, there's no more majestic statement in all of God's word. It is a monumental statement. And in this one verse, God gives us all the necessary elements of to sustain creation and the universe. In the beginning. The beginning right there is time. Time does not exist before this moment. As hard as it is for us to understand or grasp that. God calls time into existence. In the beginning. In the beginning God. You have the prime mover. In the beginning God. God exists and he is eternal, and Scripture gives us no explanation because no explanation is needed. It just states it as fact, and we trust it and take it by faith. And not faith, as a, the skeptics would say. Well, there, here they go again with just their faith deal. It's not just faith and faith, or hope and hope. Faith is tied to the object. You can have faith in the tooth fairy, but because there's no substance behind your belief system, the faith is meaningless we have faith in God and the God who stands behind his word and stands behind creation. In the beginning, God made. In the beginning, God made. It's the Hebrew word bara. And it means to create something from nothing. And it's unique to God. It's only ever attributed to God because God alone calls this earth This world into being from nothing. It's divine creation. It has been said that Genesis is the most miraculous book in all of God's Word. Something from nothing. So you have the initial activity. In the beginning God created the heavens, now you have space. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, now you have matter. And right here in this first verse, you have all the foundational aspects of creation. You've got time, you've got space, and you've got matter. And not only does God give us the foundational elements of creation, in this one verse, he knocks off every pagan thought or idea. Atheism is debunked right here in the first verse. Because God himself exists. Polytheism is debunked. There's one true God. Materialism, pantheism, humanism, all knocked off the table because God is sovereign over his creation. Dualism is debunked. There's no struggle between good and evil. God has no equal. He is king. He is all powerful. Every pagan thought, every other ism and spasm is knocked off the table in one place. Verse, this is what you call the wisdom of God. You know, as you look at this, it's often said the greatest communicators are able to cover in depth and comprehension a topic and do it in a very brief period of time. The key is to cover everything with depth and, depth and comprehension and do it in a brief period of time. In this one chapter... God is going to give us everything we need to know with complexity and comprehension and depth, and he's going to do it in one chapter, and really he gives us everything in one verse. That's what you call the wisdom of God. You talk about a great communicator. So... All we need to know about the foundational elements, all the, the pagan thoughts are, are knocked off the table right here. And it's, it's to a large extent, a summary statement. Heavens and the earth always refers to the finished work of creation. If you look in chapter 2, verse 4, we're going to look at it next week, you, you see this same phrase, heavens and earth. And they create kind of a bookends that give us this initial creation account. And so in verse 2, he makes this summary statement. In verse 2, he tells us how he did it. Look at verse 2. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. It says the earth was formless. It was, it was unfinished as to its shape. It was void, meaning it, was, it had no life, it, unpopulated, darkness. There's no light. Why? Because God has yet to create light. And then you see the Spirit of God moving over the surface of the waters. So what you have here is a formless, lifeless, dark, watery matrix. And what is God doing? He says the Spirit of God is moving. That word moving, it's referenced, it's used again in Deuteronomy 32.11. You'll see it on the screen it says in Deuteronomy thirty two eleven, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that hovers over its young, he spread his wings and caught them. He carried them on his pinions. That word hovers. In fact, many would say that a better translation of moving is hovering. That the Spirit of God and the picture there—it's a powerful picture because the Spirit of God is moving. It's the picture of a mother eagle prepping the nest for her little eaglets, making sure it's perfect and it's ready. And that's the picture of the Spirit of God and what the Spirit of God was doing in the formation of the earth. And this is so powerful. If anything stood out to me beyond anything else in this chapter, it's this picture of this is not just some impersonal deity who's putting up bolts and two-by-fours. No, this is the God of all creation, but he is personal. And everything he has done with, is done with a heart of benevolence and kindness and love, prepping the creation for who? for you and me, for man. As we're going to see, it's all about the glory of God, but the centerpiece of God's creation is who? It's man. In this awesome, this, this God who's infinite, and all-powerful, and yet in a loving way, he's fashioning this world so that it creates a perfect environment to sustain you and me. It's like a parent when you're bringing home uh, that newborn baby, what do you do? You get a room ready, don't you? You get a space ready, and you make sure that that child, that baby, has everything they need to make sure that they are provided for and cared for with safety and provision. That's the picture that we get of God. You'll see it running throughout this, that God is loving and benevolent in his creation for us. And so the spirit is moving. And and in chapter, or actually Proverbs 8, 27, it says, When he established the heavens, I was there. When he inscribed a circle on the face of the deep, most believe that it's right here, that The Spirit of God as it hovers over this dark watery matrix that the Spirit begins to inscribe a circle. That what is the Spirit of God? It's taking this formless watery matrix and it's beginning to shape it into a globe. And now it's begun to spin on an axis. And what do you have? You have gravitational force. It's a powerful picture here. And then we we move on in, chapter, in verses 3 through 5. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the, the light was good, and God had separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was morning one day. And so now you have light called into existence. You, you not only have gravitational force, now you've got electromagnetic force. And what is the light? The light is the very presence of God. God. God himself, as he shapes this earth, he illuminates it with, with his very presence, and he calls it good. Now, now when we think of good, you know, so you ask somebody, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing good. We kind of mean okay. We're just doing okay. And you know, there's new commercials every time I think about this. Just okay is not okay. Don't you love those new uh, commercials? Guess who just got reinstated? I love that commercial. But, um, but we, think of, we think of good as just kind of okay, but we need to remember God's level of goodness is a completely different standard. That when God says it's good, he is saying it's absolutely perfect. In fact, when he comes to the end, what is he going to say? It's very good. It's perfect. And you see this in every step of the creation process. You see God look back at what he's made as an inspector and say, It's perfect. It's good. Oh, like when you're building a home, you bring somebody in, on the foundation, perfect, check, you got that. Uh, framing, good, check. You, then they go in, they inspect the electrical, the plumbing, it's all good. God goes in as this inspector over his creation in every part of it, from its primitive forms, from light and gravitational force to the molecules that make up matter in every aspect of his creation, he calls it good. And he takes credit for it, that it's his creation. And because it's his creation, it can't be anything but good and perfect because God himself by his nature is good. In fact, in John 1.3, it says, All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. Colossians 1.16, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. God's creation is perfect at every step of the process. God never had to return to Home Depot to get some extra parts, you know, that he forgot. Or he never had to reapply for a, for a building inspection. At every aspect, it's good. And, and it says, and there was evening and morning one day. There's, there's two words for day in the Hebrew. There's olam, which is an unspecified amount of time. And yom, which is a 24-hour period, which we see uh, all the rest of the New Testament. Yom, a 24-hour period. Which of those two words do you think is used right here? It's yom. And again, I, I, I'm, I'm somewhat of a simpleton. And I believe that God made it very simple for us. He put it right here. He left no doubt. We're talking about a 24-hour period. That creation is made in six 24-hour literal days. And, and by the way, which brings up a good question, why didn't God just make it instantaneously? Because he could have, right? He could have just called it into existence, and it was perfect and good. You know what, as I thought about that, you know what's so amazing about this? Every aspect of this creation is for our protection, for our provision. And even in the pattern by which he makes it, he is giving us an example for how we will work. Because what we'll see next week is we're going to have a seventh day, which will be a day of rest. All the other days, the months, they're astronomical. The seventh day is kind of forced into creation, that God's going to force it to stop and rest. But what we see here, even in his creation, he's giving a pattern for you. This is how you're going to work. He doesn't do it because he has to. It's not like God can only accomplish so much in a day. He's doing it for you, for us. Every aspect of this creation, for the centerpiece of of his creation which is you and me. So we have all the necessary foundations for creation. we got time, space, matter. We've got nuclear energy. We've got gravitational force. We've got electromagnetic force. And now God begins to organize the earth. Look at verses six through eight. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below uh, the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning, a second day. So now we have this expanse. It literally means a thinned out space. It's used of, uh, in Exodus of hammering out sheets of gold. And so the picture that you have here is that around this globe now, you have this expanse of water and God cuts through it like a knife through butter. And he separates out waters above from the waters below. And the waters below are going to engulf the earth. And then there's going to be this expanse and then there's waters above. And there's a lot of speculation. And I know the canopy theory and I understand all those things, which by the way, the more I study the word of God, the more I see I struggle with the idea of this canopy used for the flood. I know we've heard a lot about that but in other parts of the old testament you see the waters above referenced post flood and so i struggle with that do i really know no i don't I, and and there's interpretations but we got to remember those are interpretations because god doesn't really tell us what he tells us is there's waters above somewhere out there there's waters below and in between there's this, this expanse that's called heavens and by the way that expanse it's not nothing is it it's oxygen it's the atmosphere. It's the very air we breathe. And we know it's made up of oxygen and carbon dioxide and nitrogen and a little bit of carbon dioxide. If it had any more than what it has, we'd all die. And any less, and it wouldn't sustain life. That it's perfect. Don't tell me that all this happened by natural processes, as an accident. And who is it made for? To sustain life. To sustain us. The glory of God's creation. And then in verses 9 through 10, then God said, let the waters below and the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. So now you have the separation of land and water and the formation of earth and sea. Now you have these these structures. So we've seen the foundation and we've seen the forces Now, now that we got the structure to it. And then he begins to fill the earth. Look at verses 11 through 13. And then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning a third day. And so God brings forth vegetation, and we find something that will be true of vegetation, it will be true of the animals, and it will be true of man. That they all have seed, and the seed carries or gives the ability to carry forth life. And there's a proper in that seed we call DNA. And so the, these plants and animals, these humans, will always bring forth of their kind. That's what scripture says. After the sixth day, there's no more creation. And if there's no more creation, how will this world continue to carry life on? The answer is seed. And what kind of seed will it bring forth? After its kind. Meaning there's no crossing over of species. That you can certainly have adaptation within species. You can have a big pig, you can have a little pig, you can have a brown pig, you can have a spotted pig, you can have an ugly pig. But you can't have a pig that becomes a python. And you can't have a turtle that becomes a tiger. And what great theory have we just knocked down right here? Evolution. And by the way, according to me, I would say even theistic evolution. Knocked down right here. If you just take a plain and simple literal interpretation, and it's amazing to me, I don't want to get off right here too far, but. As far as I could tell, every deviation from the plain and literal understanding of the text was always an effort to accommodate the theories of evolution and Darwinism. That there's a world of people out there that have been taught so much that this is fact. And by the way, it is not fact and it's not law and it's got a ton of holes in it. But we've bought into this. This has got to be true. But then what you have happen is you've got people who say, well, I love the Bible and I believe in it, but I also believe in this over here because I've been taught that it's fact. And so what are we going to try to do now? We're going to try to force this in here. And so everybody's trying to get billions and billions of years in here. And if you read the plain, simple text, what would you see? You don't see billions of years there. Why do we try to force it in there? Because we're trying to accommodate the theories of science. At some point, we've got to decide, do we believe the Word of God or not? And let's let God and his word be sovereign over science and creation. And by the way, I think that frees us up to glory in science. As we look at it, we say, the heavens are telling of the glory of God. And their expanse is declaring the works of his hands. So, I've gone further than what I wanted to there. All right, where are we? And then you see in verses 14 through 19, look here. Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years, and let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the great, greater light to govern the day and the lesser night light to govern the, the night, and he made the stars also. And he placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning, a fourth day and now we, we look to the heavens, we see the formation of the sun and the moon and the stars. And, and why did God give them? He gave them so we could have sequence to days, that we wouldn't exist in continual uh, daytime, we wouldn't exist in continual nighttime, although I know there are parts of Alaska where they get, and parts of the world where they get continual uh, nighttime and daytime. But what do we know? Even in those places where you've got continual night or continual day, it creates all kinds of problems. But God has created earth a a world And it's perfection where there would be night and there would be day. And he says that not only he gave them uh, for sequence, but he gave them for signs that we'd have these fixed points in the universe by which to guide us. And we could know north and south. We could have direction and understanding. And not only signs, but they would be for seasons. If you've not studied this, and I I know some of you in here are uh, so far beyond beyond me with science. It's funny, this week I I went and just, just to just to see this again and make sure I understood this all correctly, I started watching some of the YouTube videos. And some of them, I found out, are made for fifth graders. And, uh, man, it was exciting for me. Um, So (laughs) that kind of tells you where I'm at uh, in terms of this stuff. But, folks, this is absolutely amazing. We can get so caught up. But just think about this, where you've got an earth on an axis that is slightly tilted. And if it's tilted two degrees one way or the other, everything freezes up or everything burns up. And you got this earth, and it's spinning, and you got a moon spinning around it, and you got the earth spinning around the sun. And it's going at just the right angle to give a season, so there'd be a good season for planting, there'd be a good season for cultivating, and there'd be a really good season for harvesting. Isn't that awesome? And if you step back and look at it... <laughs> When you step back and look at it and you see the earth spinning the moon going around the earth and you got the earth going around the sun you see all this, the rest of this and you step back and look, you know what you got? You got a Swiss watch. <laughs> I don't know how anybody could look at this and say it's a product of accident. Perfectly made. And perfectly made, by the way, for who? For us. The glory of God's creation. Then we look at verses 20 through 25. Very briefly, then God said, Let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures, and let the birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. And God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarmed after their kind. And every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas. And let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning a fifth day. And then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind. Cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind. And everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. He creates all this, he put vegetation on the earth, and now he creates these animals, the fish, the birds. And again, everything perfect. Everything after its kind, and each of these animals, each of these creatures are formed perfectly to operate efficiently within their environment. Everything done with purpose and intentionality. Well, very briefly as we close, what do we see? This is what I wanted to... What do we see about God? Because this is all about the glory of God. Can I just tell you a few things really briefly that stick out to me this week? There, we could list so many attributes of God that we see in these first what, five and a half days of creation. But let me just give you a few that really stuck out to me. Number one, God is powerful. And I don't know that we can overstate his power. He is so much bigger than we think he is. And you see the enormity of God's power in his creation. It's overwhelming. He simply speaks. He calls it forth what kind of power is this? And it's not just some raw power that wrestles with creation or or crashes into creation. The power of God is impressive, but the ease with which he brings about creation is equally impressive. He simply speaks, and it's so. He brings forth creation with a divine power that's so overwhelming, it almost appears that it requires no effort from God. Jeremiah 32, 17. All Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. Do we believe that? It's one thing to say we believe that God is all-powerful. You know, so much of this I'm reminded this week We say we believe a lot of things. If we really believe it, belief is indicated by actions. If we really believe that God is all-powerful and if we really believe that through faith in Christ we have access to this very same God every moment of every day, do we live like it? And I don't know, some of you may need to hear this this morning, but nothing is impossible with God. And specifically as it pertains to his mission as we work with him and what he desires to do. It's why Paul said, if God is for us, folks, if the God who spoke creation into existence is for us, who in the world could be against us? We see the power of God. Not only do we see the power of God, we see the holiness of God. God is holy. He's completely set apart. And remember, we think of holiness oftentimes in contrast to sin. But God is holy before sin ever exists. He is completely set set apart. His holiness is his infinite perfection and total glory. Completely set apart. As we move through this, there is no aspect of his creation, man included, that is made in the image of God. No aspect of creation that even remotely comes close to the glory and the holiness of God. He stands alone. There is no close second. Not only do we see that God is holy, we see, I couldn't help but see this week, that God is creative and imaginative. And this just stuck out to me as I was studying this. When you look at all the various species of animals that God created and the vegetation, we look up, we see the stars. I I looked this week. They're still trying to count the stars. But right now, they're over 100 billion stars. We saw this week the snow falling. You woke up that next morning. I don't know about you, but you saw that. Trees covered in snow and you saw the glory of God. We partake of a majestic mountain view when we observe the animals. You know, God could have just as easily... Created some kind of boring and sterile environment to simply sustain life. But instead, he shaped majestic mountains, scenic lakes, vast oceans, awe-inspiring deserts. He incorporates a multitude of colors, amazing patterns, and unusual animals and plants. The creativity and the imagination of God are displayed in the glory of his creation. And it should, should never cease to amaze us and drive us to glorify the God of all creation. And by the way, as we're going to learn next week, we're made in the image of God. You know what so many people will say, and I've been guilty of this too, well, I'm just not a very creative person. You know what I believe? That there's an infinite amount of creative potential in every individual that God has made because they're made in His image. There ought to be no more creative people in all the world. And yet I think far too often we are guilty of squashing creativity and even as parents sometimes. But that's another topic for another day. Thirdly, God is love. As I've stated over and over again in this first chapter, it's all about the glory of God and his creation. But you cannot help but see that all of his creation is made with man in view. That God is crafting and shaping the earth perfectly to sustain us. Every aspect of his creation is a demonstration of his kind benevolence towards us. Every time you see a sunrise or a sunset, you ought to be reminded of God's infinite love for you. That at the formation of the world, God loved you. You know, when when Walker, our youngest, was little, uh, we told him, I just remember this one day uh, coming out and we got Wyatt and, and... Holding them in my arms, and, and the moon was just as bright as it could be. And I told Wyatt, You see that moon? That's your moon. God made that moon just for you. And for a long time, you know what Walker did? He went walk around telling everybody, That's my moon. <laughs> but, folks, I pray sometimes all of us would have the faith of a little child to understand that every time we see a sunrise, a sunset, every time we see the wind sweeping across the plains of Kansas, every time we see those rolling hills and the Flint Hills of Kansas, that we would be reminded of God's infinite love for us. And by the way, did any of us deserve this? That's what's so amazing about this, that if you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ, you don't know Christ, do you know that God loved you and loves you today even if you don't love him? Even if you don't want anything to do with him, even if you don't believe in him. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 5, he causes the rain to fall on the good and the evil alike. Maybe you don't even know it today, but the air you breathe is only by the grace of God. The fact that you don't take a step and fly off into space is due to the grace of God and His formation of gravitational force. That every aspect of His creation is Him telling you that He loves you and He is the author of life. And all of it is intended to point us To the greatest demonstration of his love, which is Jesus. I told you last week, the ultimate question is not primarily who is Christ, but who made all this stuff and why does it appear to have design and order? And as we consider that, what do we see? We see the glory and the holiness of God. And as we see ourselves in the glory and holiness of God, what do we quickly understand? We are sinners. It always makes me think of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, you remember? He stands in the presence of Almighty Holy God, and what does he say? Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Every time you get in the presence of Almighty God, it always exposes our filth. But then, when we see the glory of God in our filth, the ultimate question then becomes, where will my salvation come from? How in the world is a sinner like me going to ever be able to enter into his presence? And in Genesis 3, you know what we're going to find out? Right after the fall, God tells us there's going to be one man who will come. And he will crush, sin, Satan, and death. And he'll be wounded in the process. And we find out as we move through Scripture, his name is Jesus. And you need to know this morning, If you are in a place of sin, your only means of salvation is the one man, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the glory that is demonstrated in your creation. That points us to the God of all creation. God I pray if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know you maybe they've never thought about these things I pray this morning that while they have seen the glory and the holiness of God I pray that they've also seen the depth of their sin that just as all of us we have all sinned and fallen short of your glory but God I pray moving on from there they've also seen The glory of your love demonstrated in Christ who came and lived and died for them. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The scripture makes plain we are sinners God is holy. But we don't earn our salvation, we can't. Our hope comes in a man who did all the work for us. So, Lord, I pray that they would trust in your son Jesus today that they might know your salvation by means of faith. God, for those of us who do know you, may we once again stand in awe of the God of all creation, praising you for your many attributes. But, God, I pray that we would not be just a people who say we believe that you're all-powerful. Be a people who not only say that you are holy, but a people who live it. Father, we thank you for your grace through Christ and your love and your glory. And we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna invite you to stand with me this morning as we give you an opportunity to respond in whatever way God might be leading on your heart. Maybe you have questions about salvation, how you can know Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior. There'll be pastors here at the front, love to talk with you, love to pray with you. Uh, Maybe you wanna just pray or pray at your seat. This is your time. Know this morning, you'll never regret obeying Christ. So you respond as we sing.